And Jesus said, If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor hears him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me any more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live in me. Sorry, you will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father, and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. This is the Gospel of Christ. Let's uh, pray together before we think about that part of God's word. Gracious God, we thank you that you are a God who has spoken to us and not left us in darkness, but that you've revealed the truth to us in the scriptures and in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Help us now, whatever is on our minds, to quiet our minds, to be ready to listen, to hear what you are saying to us in your word, and to have our hearts and our lives shaped as a result. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder what you would say is the true mark of a true Christian. What is the true mark of a true Christian? If you gathered a hundred random people from around the city and you asked them that question, you'd get a wide range of answers. You might get someone who goes to church a lot or prays a lot. You might get someone who has a fish sticker or a similarly cheesy bumper sticker on their car. You might get someone who's a bit gullible and believes fairy stories. You might get someone who doesn't drink or smoke or makes sure they never have too much fun. Uh, You could get a whole range of definitions, couldn't you? And even among Christians, we would have a wide range of answers to that question. But how would Jesus himself answer that question? What is the true mark of a true Christian? Because any answer that came from Jesus 
would surely mean that that's the only answer that really matters, wouldn't it? If Jesus himself told us what it is to be a true follower of his, that would be where we needed to listen. Now, of course, there's plenty of ways we could answer that question in in true and helpful ways. What is the true mark of a true Christian? But what does the part of God's word that we're looking at today say for us? We're looking at the second half of John chapter 14, working through a short series on this. Remember, these are words spoken by Jesus to his disciples the night before he died, uh, part of a long talk that he had with them that night. Let's take a look at how he would answer that question. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. doesn't really take a genius to see the point, does it? Anyone who claims to be a Christian, and surely you, you can't be a Christian if you say, I don't love Jesus. Anyone who claims to be a Christian For that person, obedience to Jesus is absolutely indispensable. Obedience to his commands, to his specific moral and ethical commands, the commands of the Bible, and obedience to his teaching, to the the broader revelation that he came to bring, to show us who God is, to show us that he is the way, the truth, and the life, as we saw last week. These things aren't optional extras. It's not a nice goal if we can manage it. No, we we can't say, oh, yes, I I trust in Jesus. I botch up the obedience thing and I'm really good at it. This is not the bonus level for Christians who are doing really well. This is essential. In fact, the way these things are worded, it's less of a command from Jesus than a sort of assumption, sort of a statement of fact. If you love me, you will keep my commands. It's not the thing that makes you a Christian, is it? I mean, we we know from reading the whole Bible that to be a Christian is to be someone that says, I cannot be good enough to please God. I am saved only by grace through trusting in Jesus. We, We know that very well. But there is no ongoing Christian life that leaves out obedience to Jesus and to his commands and his teaching. Now, none of that is actually the main idea that I want to think about today. Uh, partly because we'll look at it more next week, but mostly because I think there's an idea that's even more dominant in our passage that I want us to focus on. And so I raise all that stuff at the beginning to, to bring us to that main point. And let me let me put it this way. How can we possibly do that? How can we possibly obey Jesus in the way that he calls on us to do? How can you live that kind of life? We may say that we love him, but if we're honest, we know how very hard it is to obey him, left to our own devices. Our obedience to Jesus, our obedience to God, none of it comes naturally for us. So how can we be people who live by the truth? How can we live the kind of life that Jesus describes here? Well, the answer from our passage is very clear. The answer simply is, the Holy Spirit. The work of God the Holy Spirit in us, in all of his people, makes our obedience possible, makes the life that Jesus is describing for us possible. It is the Spirit who makes it possible for us to know the truth and to live by the truth. It's the gift of the Spirit and his work in us that takes these words from Jesus 
and stops them from being a crushing burden, a fearful thing to hear, and instead transforms this into a picture of a life that, in God's kindness, is actually possible, is actually something where we can begin to live the kind of real life, the kind of full life that God wants us to live as followers of Jesus, people who love him. So what I'd like to do today is to focus on three things that this passage shows us about the person and the work of the Spirit. And I hope that as we do that, uh, we'll form something of a picture of who the Spirit is and how it is that he works in our lives today. The first thing that we see, we see a glimpse of the Trinity at work. A glimpse of the Trinity at work. Now, if you were here uh, last week, you might remember that we saw Jesus saying a number of things in the first half of John chapter 14 that show an incredibly close connection between Jesus and the Father, God the Father and God the Son. So, for example, back in chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In verse 10 and 11, he says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. See, it was those kind of statements plus seeing Jesus at work, seeing the miraculous things he did, seeing the authority that he taught with, it was those kinds of statements that made the early Christians have to grapple with what they were seeing and hearing and to look at Jesus and say, we know there's only one God. This man is teaching us there's only one God, but I think he's God. So they had to grapple with that and come up with some way to understand who this man Jesus is. He is God. You see the same kind of thing in our passage today. In verse 20, Jesus says again, I am in my Father. In verse 21, he says, the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. In verse 24, he says, the words you hear are not my own, they belong to the Father who sent me. Now, there's still a difference between the Father and the Son. So verse 28, for example, you see Jesus says, the Father is greater than I. Verse 31, Jesus says, I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So there's a difference, and yet there is a unique relationship. There is the deepest possible connection between Father and Son, so much so that we're left with no choice but to say that the Son, Jesus, is God the Son. But now, as Jesus continues to speak, another person seems to be introduced into the equation. So look at verse 16. Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Now, I hope you don't get put to sleep when preachers get excited about individual words that seem like they're nothing, because that's what I'm about to do. I'm about to get excited about the word another. Uh, what's so good about that word, you say? The particular word that's used, uh, which comes across to us in the translation as another, is a word that means another of exactly the same kind. So let's say that I, I came around to your house for dinner, you kindly invited me around, and me being the graceless, dim-witted bumpkin that I am, I break the dinner plate. And I say, I'm so sorry, I'll get you another one. If I turn up on your doorstep a week later with a paper plate, I haven't really got you another one, have I? If I find out where you got the plates and I go to the same shop and I get a plate that matches the set perfectly and I bring you that, now I've got you another plate. Now that's the word John uses here. It's not as though Jesus 
being with the early disciples was the real thing. But then when he went away, well, we better send something, we better send some kind of substitute, but it's not going to be this kind of a weak, watered-down version. That's not what he's saying. He is saying that he is going to send, the Father is going to send, another of exactly the same kind. Whatever you conclude about Jesus, you have to conclude about the Spirit. And that is why we can say that even though Jesus is not physically on this planet, that he is with us. He's gone away, but he's with us. It's why Jesus can say that he leaves them with his peace, even though he has gone away from them. It's how Jesus can say in verse 20 to the disciples, you are in me and I am in you. Now that's an incredible thing to say and we could spend an awful lot of time thinking just on that, but just note for now that the Spirit can somehow draw us into the very life of God in his coming. And it's also just, as we, as we put this picture together, it's worth just noticing the kind of interplay between the Father and the Son and the Spirit that's going on here. So let me show you in verse 16, you've got the Father sending the Spirit at the request of the Son. In verse 26, you've got the Father sending the Spirit in Jesus' name. But then if we turn ahead to chapter 15 in verse 26, what you'd see is Jesus sends the Spirit from the Father. And in chapter 16, verse 7, it's just spoken of as Jesus sending the Spirit. So the cohesion and the connection between the Father and the Son and the Spirit is so tight, so perfect, that the same sending can be described in various ways. Now, Granted, of course, this is barely even scratching the surface of things we could say about the Trinity. Uh, or you might wonder, you know, that all, it's all sounding a bit esoteric, it's a bit mysterious, it's a bit abstract, it's just nice theory, but what does it mean? Friends, these aren't just random, obscure ideas. This, this is a glimpse into the most wonderful thing in the universe, into God himself. This is a glimpse into the inner workings of God, Father, Son and Spirit, and how together God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have always worked in perfect harmony, perfect cooperation for our salvation and for God's glory. And if you have trouble wrapping your head around the idea of the Trinity, number one, join the club, but number two, rejoice Rejoice. I mean, if, if everything in our Bibles stretched our minds as much as understanding the Trinity stretches our minds, we would be in trouble, sure. But isn't it great that among all the crystal clear things we have in our Bibles, we do get ideas like the Trinity that stop us in our tracks and stretch our minds and make us go, God is not like me. God is not like us. God is beyond us in a wonderful way. The idea of the Trinity isn't something to be ashamed of. It's something to glory in. It's the glory of the Christian faith in so many ways. It's a glorious reality that God is not like us, that God is real and personal, and yet he is beyond our understanding. We rejoice to know that at the heart of the universe there is a God who is love. If the Bible tells us God is love, that doesn't just mean that God is loving towards us. God is love in himself because Father, Son and Spirit have loved each other perfectly since before time began, 
whether or not we came along and were in the picture at all. And yet, now, in the sending of the Spirit, we have a God who draws near to us so that not only does God accomplish everything needed for our salvation in the person of Jesus, but he also applies everything needed for our salvation in the sending of his Spirit. People now able to understand the truth, to live transformed lives of joyful obedience to the one that we love. And so that brings us to the second point, the second thing we see here, and that is the Spirit is described as the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth. So in verse uh, 16 and verse 26 of our passage, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as another counsellor. That's the word used for us in our translation. And I looked up uh, several different translations as I was thinking about this, where we have the word uh, counsellor in the translation we're using. Other translations have words like comforter or helper or advocate. And they're all good words, depending on what you understand them to mean, because they're all words that can be taken in slightly different directions. The original word there, that word counsellor, it means one who is called to your side to help. Someone who's called to your side to help. Uh, Think of an advocate who would come with you to a court of law to testify to your good character, to say that you are uh, an honest and reliable citizen, to persuade people on your behalf, to persuade the judge on your behalf, to be a witness to reality, if you are really of good character, of course, to be a witness to reality, to speak the truth and to lead all the hearers into that truth. Now, I think we're used to thinking here, when we, when we see this and we hear the Holy Spirit described as a counsellor, I think we're used to hearing th- that be a description of the Spirit pleading our case to the Father or something like that. Now, that, some, or that or something like it is true, but I don't think it's what Jesus is talking about here. I think he's actually talking about something that works in the other direction. As I've looked at this, I've been persuaded that we should understand this not as the Spirit advocating for us before God, but as the Spirit advocating for God to us. I'm not thinking, what does that mean? God doesn't really need any advocating. But think about Jesus and think about what Jesus did during his earthly ministry. One of the big ways John describes his earthly ministry was that he came to bear witness to the truth, to reveal the truth of God, to show the world who God really is. And so once he goes away, it makes sense that he would send another to continue that work, to take up that role, to lead people into a real knowledge of the truth about God, to lead people to the truth that is found in Jesus. That's why he is the spirit of truth. The spirit comes to reveal the truth about God to humanity. Uh, Look down at verse 26. We can see that again. Verse 26, But the counsellor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Now remember as we look at that, that's a specific promise being made to the 11 as they were sitting there having dinner and listening to Jesus teach them. That's a promise made to them. The ones who essentially would go on to 
create the church through the preaching of the gospel, through the recording of the gospel in the scriptures, the 11 and their associates and those who were there connected with them, as they went teaching in Jesus' name, preaching the gospel. And that comes to us, of course, in the scriptures, recorded for us in the Bible. And so today, the way that verse 26 plays out for us, the way the Spirit leads us into all truth about God, is to take the words that he has inspired, the words of Scripture, and apply that to us, to bring that truth to us, to open our eyes to that truth, to illuminate that truth for us, if you like. So I know there's a bombardment of ideas there. Let me try and sum all of that up for us. Do you know the truth? That's just kind of another way of saying, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? Do you know the truth? Do you believe that Jesus is the truth? Do you believe that he came from the Father, full of grace and truth? Do you believe that we know that because we have the words of God, the word of God for us in the scriptures, which are the very words breathed out by God, the Holy Spirit? Uh, There are lots of good and analytical reasons, if you like, that you can believe that the Bible is the word of God If you want to talk about that, come and talk to me later. I love talking about that stuff. But I want to say the best reason for you to believe the Bible is the Word of God is because the Bible is the Word of God. That is, do you stop and question whether I'm speaking to you right now? No, you you hear me speaking. Go, Jeff's speaking. Compared to the Bible, of course, you go, big deal. But when you read the Bible, it is breathed out by God and as you read it prayerfully and humbly, you come to see that that's what it is. You read this book over time, you begin to see this book is not like other books. It has a character and a power that no other book has because verse 26 is true. The Spirit taught Jesus' apostles all things. He led them into all truth, so they recorded it for us, and now he illuminates it for us. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, the 19th century English preacher, is said to have commented, Defend the Bible? I would as soon defend a lion. Unchain it and it will defend itself. Do you know that about the Bible? Do you know Jesus as the truth? If you do, praise be to God that you can say yes to those things. This idea, this idea of the Spirit opening the truth to us, showing us the truth about Jesus, It drives out all our arrogance, doesn't it? It drives out our boasting. It drives out any idea that we're sitting here today praising God because we're smarter than other people and we've figured the truth out and they haven't. This humbles us. It brings us to our knees. It reminds us that not only has Jesus accomplished everything needed for our salvation when we couldn't do it, but that the Spirit is the one who opens our eyes to that truth so we have any chance at all of seeing it. It's also why we can have such confidence when it comes to knowing God. Confidence because we're not just we're not just grappling around in the dark. We're not just guessing. We're not just latching on to the best thing we can find and hoping that it's right. We're listening to God himself. The truth comes to us directly from God, from the Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth. So the Spirit of truth. And our third point, uh, very briefly as we finish, the spirit of truth 
is also the spirit of holiness. The spirit changes us. The spirit is the spirit of holiness. Uh, The spirit enables us to live the new lives that Jesus calls for because he is the holy spirit. It's the spirit that allows us to live distinctive lives, not just following the ways of the world around us, but following the ways of our God and our Saviour. When we read verse 26, it says he will remind the disciples of all truth. Normally when you see the word remind or remember, that kind of idea in the Bible, it's not just talking about head knowledge or the kind of reminder that pops up on your phone or something like that. It's remembering so that you do something. It's that deeper level, Uh, not just having knowledge in your head but actually being transformed by the truth. So how does the Spirit fundamentally transform us? How does the Spirit enable us to live the kind of lives that Jesus wants us to live? Fundamentally, it's through the truth. It's through the truth. How do we, how do we grow in holiness? You know, we, we can assume, can't we, that we want to live the kind of lives that Jesus calls us to live. How does that happen? How do we grow in holiness? Does it happen by us cutting ourselves off from the rest of the world, just systematically severing one tie after another till we're isolated, preferably living in a phone box so no one will give in, get in the way? Does it happen through amazing experiences? Does it happen through sitting quietly in the corner, meditating, closing our eyes, probably going to sleep in the process? No, we grow in holiness through knowing the truth. That's how God does it. That's how the Spirit works. We grow in holiness and godliness through coming to Jesus. We'll see more of that next week if you want to read ahead into chapter 15. But in particular, we grow in holiness and godliness through knowing the truth that he's inspired for us in the Bible. And that's not the most exciting conclusion in the world, is it? You could probably see that coming. But isn't it so important to remember? Brothers and sisters, it's not enough to know the truth. We have to live it as well. But you do need to know it. You can't live it if you don't know it. And so there's no shortcuts in the Christian life. That's why coming back and remembering these things is always worth doing. There's no tricks. There's just the regular work of getting to know the truth in the pages of the Bible inspired by the Spirit of God. It's why Christians down through the ages have prized time in the Bible, whether it's on their own or with their families or with with others during the week or whatever it may be. It's why we as a church give such a central place to hearing from the Bible on our Sunday gatherings and in other things that we do in all of our ministries. It's why any true church of Jesus will do the same. Not because the Bible is an end in itself. We understand that, don't we? The Bible isn't the end in itself. The Bible is the means to the end of knowing the truth, of knowing Jesus as the truth and living the lives he wants us to live. So if you want to live the life that Jesus called you to live, well, praise God, it is actually possible. Not because we think we're fantastic, but because we have the very Spirit of God another counsellor, one just like Jesus, sent to be with us and to help us. We have the Spirit who comes to us with all the power and all the deity of God himself. We have the Spirit who brings us to the truth 
and the Spirit who enables us to live by that truth. Let's pray together. Father God, we praise you this morning for the pouring out of your Spirit that we live in this time where all who follow and trust and love Jesus receive the gift of your Spirit, that he opens our eyes to the truth, that he is our counsellor, the one who shows us the truth perfectly, the one who enables us to live the kind of lives that you, Lord Jesus, call us to live. Please, Holy Spirit, work in us, transform us as individuals, as a church, that we might know the truth and that we might live by the truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.